You are listening to a message from Treeline Church, a life-giving church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you are in the Pittsburgh region, we would love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out treeline.church for times and location. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Today we're starting a new series called Elements. In 1863, there was a Russian scientist named Dmitry Mendeleev who had a dream one night about organizing all of the different elements by their chemical properties, by their atomic weight. And when he woke up, it was a eureka moment. It was this great idea, and it became what we know now as the periodic table of elements. That's what we'll be studying here at Treeline over the next nine weeks. We're going to learn. No, I'm just kidding. Some of you are like having flashbacks to chemistry. Do you remember the test in chemistry in high school where you had to sit down and they would give you the blank periodic table of the elements? You need to fill that bad boy out from memory. Oh, man, some serious anxiety when I think about that moment and just even some of the other crazy stuff in chemistry that happened. Um, But that's not what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about some other elements. There's sort of a periodic table of elements in the Bible that are called the fruits of the Spirit. They're different elements, and that's what we're going to be diving into. That's what we're going to be taking a look at over the next nine weeks. Really excited for this series over the summer to unpack some of the fruits of the Spirit. And why this is important is because every week you hear us give an invitation. We say, hey, you need to give your life to Christ. And when you invite Jesus into your life, when you surrender your life to Him, you get filled with God's Spirit. Now, why is this important? is because when you're filled with God's Spirit, it enables us to do some things that we can't do in our own strength and our own ability. We're reliant on God and His Spirit that dwells inside of us. And that's where these fruits really come from. When we talk about the fruits of the Spirit as we dive into these over the next nine weeks, they may be things that may not come natural to you and maybe in your own striving or your own strife that you might not be able to make happen, but only by God's Spirit that we see this fruit is evident in our life. Now, I don't know about you, but fruit's a pretty good thing. I, there's been some times where I've had some fruit that's kind of ruined other experiences for fruit. Now, you know what I'm talking about? Like, I remember this one time I had this peach. It was so juicy and so amazing. I didn't know a peach could taste this good. And it kind of ruined all other peaches for me. Because I'm like, this is just the most amazing piece of fruit ever. And yeah, me and my wife, we like different types of apples. And we like getting to try different kinds of apples and discovering, you know, Honeycrisp and, and Pink Ladies and all the other amazing apples out there. Now they make hybrids of apples. I don't know what your favorite fruit is, but maybe you can drop it in the comments section if you're watching. And hopefully I'm making you a little bit hungry. Because the goal for us as great fruit, and we hunger for it, and it's good and it's nutritious for us, the fruits of the spirit are something that are good and that we should hunger for. But the thing is that they have to be cultivated. Fruit doesn't just happen naturally. It's got to be cultivated. It's got to be developed. And the same thing is true in our lives. You've got to cultivate those fruits of the Spirit, those things that God wants us, desires us to show that fruit. And so we're going to jump in here. And the core of our text comes from Galatians 5. And really begins to show the difference between the fruits of the Spirit that God enables us to live the way that He's called us to live and basically the fruit of our flesh. That what happens with, without God, without His Spirit, kind of our default is to kind of be selfish and live for ourselves and our own desires. So let's take a look at what it says in Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. It says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions." 
Now you see this here? There's this, there's this dichotomy here between what our flesh and our natural desires and what God wants us to do. And so we have to begin to cultivate this fruit and recognize that our default is going to be pretty much selfish, sinful desires that aren't going to lead to a good result. But it continues in verse 19. It says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Sounds a whole lot like the world that we live in today. It says, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But in verse 22, this is what we're really going to dive into over the next several weeks. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then I love this part. There is no law against these things. See, friends, this is the fruit that when we become Christ followers, when we say yes to relationship with Jesus, the Spirit of God inside of us should be helping us to cultivate these fruits in our life. As we begin to live a life of following after Christ and truly becoming a disciple after Jesus, our life should begin to display these fruits. These nine fruits should be something that we desire, something that we cultivate and that we invest. And so we're going to dive into those. And the first one that we're going to do this week is start with the very first one, which is love. And love is kind of the mother of all the spiritual fruits. And as we begin to talk about love, and as I was preparing this this week, it's, it's almost when, we, when you hear the word love or you do a talk on the word love, it just really can become about the warm fuzzies, right? It's almost like Cupid's arrow and, and all those sappy movies or maybe the Hallmark Channel. And we think about the love and the things that guys will go to great lengths to do to pursue their woman and how a woman will just lay it all down for, for her man who she's so desperately in love with. And that, that is a great love. And there are warm fuzzies that come with love and there's some wonderful feelings and moments that happen with love and I've experienced that myself. Some of you know my story as I've met Christy and we've been married for some time now and um, way back in the day uh, when we met it was the same thing. It was those warm fuzzies. It was those loving moments. It was those moments where we just loved each other and just fell in love with each other and um, there is a a child book, children's book um, called uh, How Much I Love You and it was really uh, this idea of a parent and a child trying to over communicate, like outdo each other and how much they love each other and it was called Guess How Much I Love You. And the kind of the culmination of the book is that they say, I love you to the moon and back. That's how much I love you. All the way to the moon and back. Like, you know, when someone says, I love you like this much? Well, this is like saying, as far as I can't even reach that far to the moon and back. That's how much I love you. And matter of fact, that's the inscription that Christy gave to me in my wedding ring. She said she loves me, except it says all of you, like the little olive that you would eat. It says all of you, like I love you. And it says to the moon and back. And so there are those moments where we have those um, incredible moments in life where we feel that deep love for somebody, where we feel that love for uh, a spouse or love for a child or for a, a parent. We have those feelings, but sometimes, more often than not, Love isn't just a feeling. Love is an action, and love is a choice. 
Sometimes those warm fuzzies fade. Sometimes it becomes difficult to love someone. And this is where we really find our love is challenged. And if we really truly are going to follow through with the love that we have for someone. And we're going to unpack the biblical love. We're going to take a look at what the Bible has to say about love. This fruit of the spirit that we're supposed to be cultivating in our life. What does the Bible have to say about love? I think one great place that we can look for this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. See, Paul, the apostle, he was telling some people in the early church about the gifts of the Spirit that God had given them. He was basically saying that when you say yes to Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes upon you, there's going to be some gifts that I'm going to give you that are going to enable you, are going to empower you to, to spread the word, to tell people about Jesus, to, to show people that you are his followers, to be able to do the kingdom work that God had set out for us to do. And in the middle of these descriptions, in the middle of saying all these amazing things that we as Christ followers are going to be empowered to do, he stops and he begins to talk about the importance of love. He says this in verse 1, 1 Corinthians 13, if I could speak in the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all the knowledge and I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. See here what Paul is saying that it doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter the accomplishments we have. It doesn't even matter what we do in the name of God for his kingdom and for others. If we're not doing it out of love, it pretty much adds up to a pile of nothing. And he continues in verse 4. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Wow. I mean, that's a pretty intense definition of love. And what we find here is that love really revolves around action. It's a choice. It's a verb. Matter of fact, growing up when I was a kid, there was a Christian hip-hop group that came out and shook things up. Their name was DC Talk, and they had a song that was called Love is a Verb. Talking about love isn't just something that we feel, but love requires some action. So what we're going to do is we're going to begin to unpack this idea and, and really just break this down of what 1 Corinthians 13 is telling us that love is and that love isn't. See, it starts out by saying that love is patient and that it is kind. See, love is patient with other people. It is patient with the people around us. It doesn't want to rush or just get our way, but it's patient and slow with others. And I love that it describes it as kind. And there's actually some really well-documented series out there, some studies that say that women, what they're looking for in a man is that they're looking for someone who is kind. Isn't that amazing of all the things that we would think, guys, that we're working on, we got to go to the gym and get that six pack and look good and be ripped and everything else, that a woman is looking for someone who is kind to them. And maybe that's really, we talked about those Hallmark movies, that's where you you see that all the time, right? It's it's almost that mushy, sappy love that, guys, we kind of roll our eyes at, but we can see it over and over again that they're expressing, expressing kindness to someone else, even someone that was a total stranger. So it's something that we've really got to understand that love is kind puts others first. It thinks about their needs. It's gentle. It's patient. And then it goes into what love is not. It says love is not jealous. 
Love says, I don't want your stuff. I don't want your things. I don't want any of your relationships. It's not boastful. It's not like, look what I've got. Look what I've got going on. Look at my spouse. Look at my stuff. Look how amazing I am. That is not love. That love is not proud. It's not rude. Love is not rude to other people. It almost seems kind of ridiculous that Paul would highlight this, but it's something that we've really got to understand that love is and what love is not. It says love does not demand its own way. Love does not demand its own way. It's not saying, here's what I want. See, love is not a dictatorship. When you enter into a loving relationship or you love someone, you're displaying love. It's not about getting what we want. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not saying, here, if you want my love, it's my way or the highway. And when we say it like that, it seems kind of ridiculous. But a lot of times our actions show this. Our actions say that if you want me to love you, if you want to be worthy of receiving my love, here's the things that I need you to fulfill. But see, that's not Love, that's something else entirely. See, love is not irritable, and it keeps no records of wrong. Oh man, friends, I think we could do a whole series on that. Love keeps no records of wrong. See, I have entire ledgers. What's in a ledger? That's an accounting book, right? And it's, it's all the people who have wronged me, to what degree they have wronged me, how and when they wronged me. And see, friends, that is not love. That is just a waste of energy. It's a waste of time. See, that is not love. Love doesn't keep records of wrong. Love doesn't wait to pounce on someone and say, here's where you wronged me. Here's where you let me down. Here's where you failed me. Love chooses to forgive. Love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when truth wins. And it's not about the injustice. Love's not rubbing it in someone's face when they fail or they fall or waiting for that moment to say, ha, I caught you. No, love is saying that I really rejoice when truth wins out. That it's not rejoicing when someone experiences injustice. Even when there's people who we don't like and we want to see them fall and kind of secretly or maybe in this society, maybe not so much secretly anymore, where we celebrate when injustice happens. That is not love. Then it finishes, it says, love never gives up, it never loses faith, and it's always hopeful. Friends, love is always hopeful. Are we truly hopeful? Do we believe the best in others? When we hear something about somebody, is our first reaction to jump on the bandwagon and judge them, or are we simply to say, you know, I, don't, I can't believe that's true because I love them and I'm hopeful. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And it concludes with this unbelievable statement that love endures in every circumstance. Oh, come on, somebody. I mean, we could live the rest of our life trying to learn this lesson and apply it to our life. That love endures in every circumstance. I kind of want to sit down for a moment and be like, Paul, I, I, I got a little bit of issue. I have a bone to pick with you, Paul, because I don't know if love can endure in every... How about some circumstances? How about ones where the price isn't too high? How about one where it doesn't cost me something? Something or inconvenience me or, or make me lose face or have to die to myself. See, maybe not in every circumstance, but Paul is so clear. He says, love endures in every circumstance. Why? Because love is a choice. It's not just a fleeting feeling. It's not just the warm fuzzies. It's truly choosing to love someone else. It's choosing to love in every circumstance, even when it doesn't go right, even when things don't go our way, that we still choose to love. 
As I said earlier, love is an action. And I'm thankful for that song that's kind of got stuck in my head, a Christian hip-hop song, Love is a Verb, and reminded that love is tied to action. And we see this all throughout the Bible. When God talks about love, and one of the most quoted verses, and you hear it all the time if you grew up in church, if you went to Sunday school or VBS or whatever, you, you know John 3.16, For God so loved the world. What? God so loved, so what did he do? There was some action that he gave. He gave his only son so that we could come and have a relationship with him. See, love is an action. Matter of fact, when Jesus is telling us the two greatest commandments that we're supposed to follow, he says you're supposed to love God with everything that you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. Remember that from the series that we just wrapped up last week? See, there is action tied to that love. The love that we're supposed to have, the love that's the fruit of the spirit that it's talking about here is that it's encouraging us to choose, to make the choice, to have an action where we love other people. See, we even see this in the life of Jesus. We see Jesus do this, and he does an incredible job of of demonstrating this in John 13. And to to set up this scene, Jesus does something that's unthinkable for for the culture and contextually at that time. He sits down with his disciples, and he decides to do something to serve them, to show love. And he starts out by saying, because of the love that I have for you. And he begins to tell them how he loves them, and how God loves him, and so he loves them. And he does something unthinkable. He puts his love into action. He brings them down. He washes their feet filthy feet. Can we just agree for a moment that feet are gross? And even back then when they were wearing sandals and they walked around everywhere, I mean, no one was getting petties back then. Come on, somebody. They were probably pretty disgusting. Toenail clippers hadn't been invented. And I'm sure some of those disciples had some pretty gnarly toenails going on down there. But Jesus does the unthinkable. He gets down. The Son of God, endowed with all of the power, all of the might, all of the glory. Just, can you get this image? Sits down and lowly comes down at their feet. And he does something unthinkable. He washes them. And after he washes their feet, he says, now I want you to love other people in the same way that I've loved you. And he says this in John 13, 34, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my followers. Did you catch this? The love that Jesus demonstrated was a selfless love. It was a love that cost him something. It was a love that cost him his position, that required him to lower himself, to show humbleness and humility. It cost him something. It was a love of inconvenience. And this is the love that Jesus is saying that we should display and show to others. That love is action and that love is choice. And when the Spirit of God is dwelling inside of us and developing in us, we begin to cultivate this love that we've got. See, the world needs love more now than ever. As we take a look at going, everything going on, and if you can even stomach social media and the news cycle right now, we can see how dark the world is. And it really reminds me of a song that's way before my time, but I'm familiar with it mostly from movie soundtracks. In 1965, Burt Bacharach uh, penned a song that um, Jackie DeShannon recorded, and it calls, goes, when the wor- What the world needs now is love, sweet love. Some of you are singing it, right? It's the only thing, come on, that there's just too little love. And the same thing is true all of these years later. The world still needs love. 
I love that it even says at the end of Galatians that we were reading that against these, thi- of these things, there is no laws against them. See, this was a really big deal back then that when Paul, Paul was writing this in Romans, there were laws about everything and laws against pretty much everything. And he was saying, but against these things, there is no law that we need more of this. See, there's no law against it. There's no law against kindness. I'm like, sorry, I'm going to have to call someone in. Uh, they were showing too much kindness. Um, you know, what, what's the fine for all the love that they're showing these other people? See, there's still to this day, there is no law against these things. And that the world does need the love, but not the fleeting love that the world just knows and demonstrates that's, that's temperamental. That is really just a selfish love about getting our own needs met. No, 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 friends. The world does need love. But it needs the kind of love that can only come from being empowered by the Spirit of God living inside of us. That we can't conjure that up in ourselves. We can't cultivate that kind of love. We will simply default, just like it said in that chapter we read in Galatians, we'll just default to our own selfish needs and desires. The world needs love, but it needs a love that only God can give. So how do we do this? How do we begin to show this fruit? How do I cultivate the fruit of love in my life? Well, friends, I believe it really starts by starting simple, starting small, starting your own home. Start by doing something loving for your spouse, for your children. Instead of just thinking about yourself, think about them and even put their needs and priorities above your own. Think about what Jesus did and how he demonstrated love, how he lowered himself, how he did something out of inconvenience. Maybe just simply start there. Maybe just strive this week to do something loving. To just make baby steps to each week to do something nice or loving for your, for your child or for your spouse. To think about them instead of just your own needs that you can find to show love even in your own home. The second one is this. Maybe you simply need to show love by forgiving someone. I know that could be really difficult. That could be really challenging. And maybe, like me, you've had some of ledgers of your own. Maybe even right now you've been penning some names in there and some people who have wronged you. And maybe the most loving thing that you can do to demonstrate that you are following after Jesus is choosing to forgive them. Now, I'm sure they probably don't deserve it. They probably hurt you in some very real way. But friends, the Bible is so clear that we are as Christ followers to forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. And maybe that's the most loving thing that you can do is simply choose to forgive someone. Maybe it looks like giving someone a second chance. Maybe someone that we've written off. Maybe someone that was like, you know what, they blew it. And I, I don't know where you are in that. Some people have a, a really short fuse and they like get that one chance. And once they blow it, they're dead to you, right? We just, we just cut them off. Or maybe it's someone who over and over again you tried, but maybe the love that, that God has given you, that the Spirit is enabling you is to simply give them a second chance. Maybe it looks like you're picking up the phone and having a phone call. Maybe that's sending the text. Maybe it's allowing them back into your life. Maybe love for you looks like what Jesus did. Maybe it looks like serving someone. I know in this world with everything going on and we have to be six feet apart and wear masks and everything else going on, it can be like, it's really hard to show love to somebody. But maybe it really is just about serving someone else's needs. That there are people right here in our own community, in our city, in our region, our country, and across the world that we can do all sorts of things to demonstrate by giving, by serving, by finding tangible ways to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to meet even physical needs that shows our love for others. See, it's really about putting the needs of others before our own. That truly is what love comes down to. It's not just simply meeting our own needs, but it's choosing to deny even the things that we need or crave. And not that those are necessarily bad, but that's just sometimes what true love requires. 
I think one of the greatest ways that you can do this is to share your faith with others. Share your experience of Jesus. Why are you following after God? Why is Jesus such a big deal in your life? Why, why do you go to church? Why do you sing praises? Why do you give? What, what is really going on in your life? What has God done for you? What does that relationship mean to you? And how can you share that with someone else? Friends, that could be one of the most loving things that you could do. Is think about someone else and their need that they need to know a love of God. They need to know forgiveness. They need to know freedom that only comes from a true relationship with Jesus. Friends, you might be the person who shares that love with them, who allows them to experience the amazing love of our Heavenly Father. I know this can be challenging as we unpack this over the next couple of weeks. We talk about cultivating that fruit, but something is so amazing that happens. That when we talked about all the destruction, all the bad things that happen from when we just simply follow our own needs and our own desires, the opposite is true when we follow the Spirit of God and we begin to cultivate this fruit in our life. We begin to experience life and the fullness that God has for us in such an amazing way. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you. God, for the opportunity that we have to cultivate these fruits of spirit in our life. God, I I thank you even for this fruit of love. And God, I know that sometimes it can be difficult to love people and the world just really sends us a mixed message on what love is all about. But God, I pray that we would truly begin to understand and begin to really meditate on this verse in 1 Corinthians on what love is and isn't, God, and that we would begin to demonstrate love to others. God, I pray that we would start in small, simple ways, even in our own home, in the relationships around us. God, I pray that each one of us would find a way to raise the bar, to live up to this challenge of cultivating this fruit, starting with the mother of all fruits, love. God, I thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Friends, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited for this series. I just want to encourage you to be engaged throughout the summer, to really take this to heart. I know there's so many crazy things going on in this world right now, and we really, as Christ followers, need to be developing this fruit of the Spirit, not on our own strength, not our own ability. But I just want to invite you to join us on this journey as we unpack these fruits over the next couple of weeks. I'm really excited for this. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. If you would like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at treeline.church or on social media. Our mission is to see family trees changed by a lifelong relationship with Jesus. We hope you can listen or join us next week.